The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. U.S. equities struggled to shake off a rough start to the year, with the Nasdaq posting its longest losing streak since 2022. Attention now turning to today's non-farm payrolls print as private hiring picks up pace in December. Wage growth slows, a trend the ADP's chief economist tells CNBC is set to continue. Pay uh, deceleration is the story of 2023. And that means any specter of a wage price spiral that pushes up inflation has all but disappeared. Elsewhere, we've got Exxon warning it will take a $2.6 billion hit amid regulatory challenges in California. Whilst the Chevron CEO, Mike Worth, tells CNBC crude will remain relevant. Five years from now, the world will be using more oil and gas than it is today. More, not five years, more. Five years from now, we'll be using more than it is today. We, we meet demand. We don't control demand, we supply demand. And Apple shares falling to an eight-week low, wiping off almost $170 billion in value since the start of the year. This as Piper Sandler becomes the second company to downgrade the iPhone maker this week. It's all about the non-farm payrolls today, isn't it? We've had a lot of data already, and this is going to be one big daddy of information that the market's looking for. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, very well, Good thank to you. see you. Yeah. I think this week has been incredibly illuminating about the state of the market's nerves and the state of sentiment and the state of the momentum trade because the susceptibility to data seems to have been dialed up a couple of notches mm. because some very often we look at a piece of data which might be marginally higher or lower than expectations the market goes we're buying it whatever we're going up yeah. whereas this week i think it's been so sensitive so sensitive to you know it's been pretty much dull data <laughs> i haven't seen anything whether it be a pmi whether it be from the manufacturing services and of course from this uh, plethora of numbers coming out from jolts adp initial jobless claims that has actually changed the dial the change the dial changed the needle too much as well and yet the sensitivity for the market and and i think and i know that you and arabella are going to cover this as well in 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 the wall hits right there but we spent a lot of time saying how the nasdaq got a drubbing this week and it has had a drubbing this week it's down 3.3 but the sector, the part of the market that's had an even worse performance, albeit marginal, is the Russell 2K down 3.4% this week. So for us to typify this as a NASDAQ technology decline it is probably erroneous. It's actually been a pretty broad-based sell-off. It's pretty clear we've lost momentum. Yeah. If you think about last year when we wrapped up 2023, we were just going in one direction no matter what the news flow was. It's almost the opposite sentiment. Nothing would really knock us off course when it came to escalating to fresh peaks. But now this year, it's the very opposite Apart story. from... Apart from if there, and we've got Carl waiting in the wings as well, and he's brilliant. But apart from if there's a blooming awful figure today, i.e., loads of people, uh, not in fact, the job creation is minimal, uh, average hourly earnings are minimal. Um, you know, if we get really downbeat jobs data, I reckon the market will be off to the off to the uh, races. Yeah, there is a view that it could be the Nasdaq 100 that could be one of the most impacted by any soft 
NFP number today because right. you've had this rally of 15% since the October lows. So no significant correction. That could be the index to watch. But let's just uh, recap on some of the numbers we've already had from ADP. Private sector payrolls in the US rose by more than expected in December, adding 164,000 according to the latest ADP report. That's a substantial rise from the 101,000 figure for November, pointing to continued robustness in the American labour market. Leisure and hospitality led the way in job creation and wage growth. Speaking to CNBC, ADP's chief economist Neela Richardson said December's pickup in the labour market pointed to a strong holiday season, but other sectors like manufacturing are still lagging. What we saw in December was consistent with a very strong holiday travel season, a very strong holiday retail season, which people were moving around, they were buying things, they were going places, and we saw a return to leisure and hospitality. That only fueled that industry, it also fueled small firms, which are over-indexed in that sector. So if this keeps going, if we're seeing above-trend growth, into 2024, that's a good sign for the labor market. One note of caution, manufacturing, second note of caution, we still didn't see retail hiring as strong as it was before the pandemic. So we're still low compared to 2019. Uh, Neela Richardson there. Uh, The number of Americans filing for new jobless claims, this is my point, uh, fell to its lowest level since mid-October. New jobless claims falling to their lowest level since mid-October. Yeah, that is down 18,000 on the week to 202,000. Continuing claims also fell to 1.85 million. Now, the latest signs of strength in the labour market rather than weakness help shrug off recession fears, but of course will raise questions around expectations on the Fed rate cut trajectory. Karen's been looking at the market reaction. The reaction was negative, as you can see across the board. The Nasdaq in particular down the most, uh, just over half of a percent. It's the accumulation of losses, though, as we've watched this week unfold. For the trading week, we're down 3.3 plus so far in the Nasdaq before the session and set to break a nine-week winning streak. One of the big movers to the downside, the likes of Amazon for the Nasdaq. Elsewhere, the pain report is slightly slimmer. We've got uh, the S&P down 1.7% for the trading week as you add up the third of a percent coming off markets yesterday. And you can see actually the Dow holding on to a slight gain, second positive session out of three, down just under seven-tenths of a percent for the week. So slightly split fortunes between the losses weathered on the Nasdaq versus what you've witnessed on the Dow. In terms of uh, the market and how they're shaping up, take a look at Treasuries. And don't forget uh, the market has been trying to reassess based on the minutes this week from the Fed, but also now non-farm payrolls later on today, just what the rate cutting cycle looks like next year. And uh, at this point, you've got to say there's been some movement in the yields. We have moved back up to that 4% handle on the 10-year as well. So we drifted well off it uh, in recent weeks. But now we've gone back up to the 4% handle, 4.38 on the two-year. We're watching any jumpy moves that appear through Treasuries today, thanks to the payrolls data. Dollar, let's take a quick look at how the dollar has been perched. And we are seeing a little bit of strength coming through. Sterling, euro, both on the back foot, 126.71 on cable. And we're around the 109.30 level on the euro dollar trade this morning, down about a tenth of a percent. Dollar showing some might versus the Japanese yen. 
as well and that uh, has created somewhat of a prop underneath Japanese stocks in session today getting closer to the 145 handle at again on dollar yen rates dollar also firmer versus the yuan so it is a dollar positive story this morning and let's take a close-up look at uh, the Japanese stock market on the back of those dollar yen moves and what you're seeing out of the, the Nikkei today but in the first uh, commodities I think we've got to show you commodities that we can see on Japanese market there you can see is up just over a quarter of a percent 33,377, bounce of about 90-odd points. Hong Kong stocks reversing along with Shanghai. Slight dip out of the Australian market. Steve. Attention turning today to the non-farm payrolls report out of the United States. Investors eyeing any signs of a sufficient, uh, sufficiently tight labour market that could add to hopes of a rate cut from the Federal Reserve. Or doesn't need to be tight, it needs to be looser, doesn't it, for the Fed to uh, carry on cutting. Anyway, um, Arabile joins us with uh, all the details. Yeah, so Steve, I mean, the Fed actually was speaking in its uh, December minutes then that they believe that the labor market actually moved into a bit of a better balance at this stage. Uh, so they're not too worried about it. But of course, it is one of those segments that will be keenly watched for some direction as to what will happen when it comes to that interest rate environment. The employment indicators are certainly significant. A cooling labor market could certainly move things along uh, quite significantly when it comes to those rate cuts. So what is the forecast? 170,000 jobs anticipated to have been added then according to uh, the Dow Jones forecast on that one. It would be below below November's number of 199,000 then. But let's remember that you did have the ADP uh, private jobs report come in a little bit higher than anticipated 164,000 versus the 115,000 that was anticipated but the ADP private payrolls number isn't necessarily the best guide for where we will see that non-farm payrolls number come through but could there be upside is the question mark on the other side of the scale we've just spoken about it as well those jobless claims coming in at a three-month low then of 202,000 below the estimated 216,000 estimate there that was put forward so Jobless rate anticipated to come in at 3.8% versus the 3.7% that we saw for the month of November. Average hourly earnings month on month, that expectation is set at 0.3% versus the prior month's 0.4%. But here's something very interesting. According to BMO, this is something that perhaps the dollar bears might like. In fact, headline payroll prints in December are seasonally negative, right? Uh, it do come in below estimates. 56% of the time. So could we see that number perhaps come in below estimates with only 44% beating the estimates? Guys. Arabile, thank you very much for giving us the rundown there. Let's get to Carl Weinberg, who is Chief Economist, High Frequency Economics. Carl, great to have you back on board with us and Happy New Year to you. We are counting down to the non-farm payrolls report today, as you can hear from the top of the show. Are we over-egging this? Isn't there a huge relevance around this report today or is it just another piece of the data? Hi, good morning, Karen, Steve. Happy New Year to both of you. Um, Yes, this is a big number from the point of view of the markets. From the point of view of the Fed, it's not the number, but from the point of view of the markets, they're going to gauge Fed expectations based on it. There's no indication from the auxiliary data that we've been getting, the weekly jobless claims numbers, the jolts numbers. I mean, you guys have been talking about this uh, for the whole program so far. There's no indication there that we're going to get any big deviation from where we've been recently on the jobs number, which is that we're close to full employment. 
that the labor market is softening up a little bit, but not by a lot. The economy, of course, is slowing a little bit, but not by a lot. It looks to us like a, a soft landing in terms of the, the legacy language that we use. Uh, overall, uh, it would take a really, really big surprise out of this number, I think, to move the Fed off of the course that it laid out in the minutes and in its comments after the last meeting. Carl, we've witnessed a lot of unusual data since the COVID pandemic, but some of that is starting to normalise now. The labour market has been a standout. The great resignation, some of the big themes we've seen around a tight labour market have continued for so many years now. At what point do we see that normalisation happening? Well, I think we're getting pretty close to normal right now. I mean, what's happened, if you look at the monetary data, is that uh, we got a huge 35% jolt to the money supply, to cash balances, to bank reserves, however you want to uh, look at it. Uh, we've seen that big monetary jolt. And then since that jolt stopped increasing, all right, in 2021, 2022, we've seen that excess in the money supply in real terms being worked down by a rising level of prices that reduces the purchasing power parity of purchasing power of all of that cash that's sitting in people's accounts. Uh, we've seen QT bring down the amount of liquidity in the economy. And we're now just about back to where we would have been had we not had COVID and had we continued on what had been a non-inflationary path for money or bank reserves or liquidity, or again, however you want to look at it. So when we get back to that more normal level of money relative to our incomes, then we should see prices stabilizing, which we are, PCE, CPI are essentially flat over the last three and six months. Prices are leveling off, and that means the inflation metrics we're looking at are going to level off as well. They're going to go back toward zero or toward their 2% target or even below target. And that's what the Fed's primary job is, to look at that. All right, the employment reports, the jolts, the ADP, all these other things, very interesting numbers. But the real number that matters is the CPI and PCE numbers, and they're headed right back toward normal as far as we can tell. Lovely to see you, Carl. Uh, happy New Year to you, my friend. Um, in terms of the difference between 75 and 150, uh, sounds like a nonsensical question, but in terms of the market reaction, the market wants one thing in terms of cuts this year. The Fed hasn't promised, but has indicated in the SEP uh, 75. What happens if the Fed is right? Is there going to be a, a market reaction that is uh, perhaps disproportionate? Yeah, that's a really good question, Steve. And uh, that's one that we're talking about our, at our internal research meetings. That's probably the biggest knowable unknown, all right, in terms of uh, what we're looking at for the outlook right now, that the market will be disappointed that it won't get the rate cuts that it's looking for. Uh, normally, I would say, look at the Fed. The Fed tells you what they're going to do, all right? Listen to them, and you're going to get pretty much the right answer most of the time. But what catches my eye is that when we look at the PCE deflator, which is the metric that they're looking at to gauge inflation, and since their last hike last summer, and looking forward to what we're projecting for, say, at the end of this year, we've got about 150 basis points of slowing inflation. So what that means is that if the Fed holds interest rates steady in nominal terms, where we are right now centered at five and a quarter percent, then we're going to see real policy rates increase 
increase as inflation comes down by 150 basis points. And that may be more than what the Fed wants to tolerate. If the Fed delivers the 75 basis points that they've promised, they're still going to get tighter monetary conditions by 75 basis points by delivering only three rate cuts in this year rather than the six that the market has done. But if the Fed wants to hold rates where it put them last August in real terms, that it has to go six. So the market's betting on the six. The Fed is only promising three. And I think it all depends. Again, the bottom line is how do these deflators evolve over the course Carl, of the next year? Carl, I think you I, very rarely I would take you up on this, but you just said the Fed had promised two. The Fed, you said it twice. The Fed has promised nothing. The Fed has promised nothing. The Fed has indicated okay. potentially this is a scenario. But when I listen to the likes of Barkin this week and others, I don't even know if the 75's in the bag. Um, I, I think the market is saying 75 is done now, but the Fed is doing the forecasting, same as the rest of us. They don't know what the, the exterior factors are beyond the US economy, which could drag us lower or take us higher, though, do they? I will give you that point, Steve. They have not promised us anything, all right? They've suggested that if inflation proceeds on their projection, which gets us to about uh, 2.5% uh, on a PCE deflator, that then they might see as a mid-term mid estimate 75 basis points. I agree with you. It's not a promise. The economy still has to deliver the slowdown. Some people, like myself, are looking for a much faster slowdown, if I said that clearly, all right, a greater reduction in the inflation metrics over the next year than the Fed is, all right? So we would be looking for not only the 75, but we're open to the possibility that we could get more than that. But if we do get three rate cuts over the next year, and if CPI, PCE continue to decelerate on the kinds of trajectories that we're looking at at high frequency economics, then we're going to still see some tightening of monetary conditions, not as much as we would have if they didn't cut, but some tightening of monetary conditions. And that might be what the Fed wants to do if the job numbers turn out to be strong. Carl, as we piece this together, how different do you think 2024 is going to look for the U.S. consumer? Because already we've seen some of the mortgage rates start to retreat from the peaks. We've heard that uh, consumption patterns are starting to alter because of pressure on household finances. So as you piece together 2024, what sort of playbook do you think it's going to look like for the consumer? Consumer faces a very, very interesting year. Okay, so supposing you're just the consumer who watches CNBC every morning and you hear that the Fed's about to cut interest rates. You're contemplating buying a car. You're contemplating buying a dishwasher. You're contemplating adding on to your house. You're contemplating buying a house. Right? Why would you buy it now when six months from now or a year from now you expect the cost of financing those projects or those acquisitions will be lower? So we could get kind of a lull in the consumer induced by expectations of Fed cutting rates, and that would be symmetric to the acceleration of purchases of big ticket items that we saw as rates were on the way up. People advanced purchases to beat the rate increases. So the consumer will continue, we believe, to slow. Their cash balances are coming down. Even though their financing costs and so on are starting to come off a little bit, it's at the margin and at the core. The consumer is still looking at higher rates than in the past decade and uh, is going to, I believe, be brave by those higher financing costs and tighter monetary conditions. 
One more from me, Carl. Um, I talked about the market wanting what it uh, wants from the Fed to do. But what about if the market takes matters in its own hands, as it's tried to do many times before, and actually has a so-called hissy fit, falls aggressively? Could it actually be the tail wagging the dog and force the Fed to do something it didn't want to do beforehand? Well, in a certain sense, we saw the market try to do that in the uh, final weeks and months of uh, last year. All right. As talk of Fed easing permeated through the markets, well, we saw the bond yield curve just, you know, come long term bond yields just come right far down. And that, of course, undoes some of the tightening that the Fed's doing at the short end. All right. Question is, will that stick as the data evolves, as the picture becomes clearer? My guess is that treasuries probably rallied more than they should have in the final weeks of uh, 2023. And what we're now experiencing is a correction of that. And maybe a strong jobs number today might advance that process a little bit. Uh, But of course, at the end of the day, the Fed controls the short end of the yield curve. And so much is triggered off of those short-term interest rates, uh, certainly in terms of marginal decisions. The Fed still has uh, its hands on both the horizontal and the vertical in this scenario. Carl, great chat. Great first chat between Karamite, me and yourself of 2024. Lovely to see you, sir. Look forward to more of the same throughout the year. Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist at higher frequency economics. Arabile. Oh, coming up on the show, Steve, nearly $170 billion. That's how much Apple has lost in market cap in the first week of 2024. We'll discuss more on that. Plus, Chevron CEO Michael Wirth tells CNBC his outlook for the energy sector and outlines why he expects the world to be consuming more oil and gas in five years than today. We'll bring you that exclusive interview and we'll discuss what role asset managers and private markets have to play in creating sustainable growth with Cecile Kabeni, Deputy CEO of Tikahau Capital. That's coming up at 7.30 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Apple stock for the week. It is down more than 5% this week after Piper Sandler became the second lender to downgrade its outlook for the world's largest company. The move puts the firm's stock at its lowest in eight weeks, wiping around $170 billion off its market cap in the first trading week of the year. But Wall Street is far more optimistic on one of its magnificent seven peers. Kate Rooney filed this report. Amazon is emerging as Wall Street's top tech play in the new year. Yesterday alone, Five firms chose the tech giant as their highest conviction pick this year. As of this week, the tally of analysts rooting for Amazon in the year is at least 18. You've got Citigroup, Goldman, Wells Fargo, RBC on the list. Wedbush calls Amazon the everything stock, a nod to the everything store there for its sprawling business and flywheel effect. There are a few consistent drivers for the potential upside. First, you've got AWS growth reaccelerating. Its growth had dropped 
the lowest level in history for AWS at 12% in Q3. That was down from 27% a year earlier. Consensus is that cloud revenue looks to have stabilized and cloud spending by AWS customers is expected to pick up. Then you've got artificial intelligence, another big theme. Raymond James among those arguing that Amazon is among the best positioned to influence the next commercialization phase as generative AI adoption moves from the experimentation phase. Then Wells Fargo says, while enterprise AI is a 2025 or 2026 story for the company, it does estimate that it could account for 7% of total AWS revenues next year. Amazon's operating efficiencies coming up a lot in these research notes. Wolf points out that areas such as inbound shipping, inventory placement, and returns management should help gross margins for Amazon improve. And then there may be the biggest upside surprise here with advertising. Wolf estimates Amazon now makes up 8% of global ad spending. It is expected to get a boost from Prime Video and in-app retail ads, as well as partnerships with Meta, Shopify, and Pinterest. Bank of America thinks advertising could add as much as $5 billion to Amazon's top line. Valuation is a big part of the allure here. It has underperformed the other Magnificent seven stocks after a strong year. Stock trades at a slight discount to the rest of that group. As far as the bear case and potential downside, it could face more macro uncertainty, regulatory uncertainty, and then competitive e-commerce pressure from the likes of Shein and Timu, as well as cloud and online advertising-related risks. Kate Rooney for CNBC Business News in San Francisco. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho weekdays on CNBC.